Today's episode is brought to you by Chiropractic Mastery. Wouldn't it be great if your spinal problems and misalignments could correct themselves? And if you didn't need the same thing done to you every time you visit the office, best of all, what if your chiropractor could check and tell when your body didn't need any help that day at all? MCT chiropractors correct nervous system imbalances directly so the body is best able to correct the spinal misalignment on its own. This is done without twisting, popping, cracking, or causing pain. It's so honoring to the body that most people experience a tremendous amount of improvement very quickly, often without the soreness and stiffness that may follow a more traditional chiropractic adjustment. Your chiropractor can find out more by visiting chiropracticmastery.com and checking the seminars tab. And if you're looking for a chiropractor that will custom build the most painless yet effective chiropractic adjustment for you on every visit to the office, go to chiropracticmastery.com and click on the referrals tab. everyone, and welcome to the penultimate episode of the KiddoCast for Season 3, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk about pillars of the alternative healthcare world and give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics. I'm the director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. Now today, for our uh, penultimate season three episode, um, I thought I would have on uh, my good friend, Dr. Scott Haggerty. Uh, Scott and I have known each other for about 15 years. He and I served in the Student American Chiropractic Association together when we were in chiropractic college. Um, and I've known Scott uh, to be um, a man of integrity and a great family and pediatric chiropractor. Um, his, uh, his practice philosophy, like mine, uh, has gone through some uh, ebbs and flows over the course of his career. Um, and uh, in a lot of ways, his practice has, has paralleled uh, my own. Um, and so I really wanted to have him on to talk about his practice, to talk about some of the things that he's been seeing um, you know, with some of the kids that he's taking care of, and more importantly, to talk about the future of chiropractic. So um, I know you guys are going to enjoy this. It's been a long time coming to have Scott on the podcast, um, and it was a really, really fun interview to do. So enjoy, guys. All right, we are live. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Dr. Danny Bronstein here, and I am here with my good friend, Dr. Scott Haggerty. And uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the stuff that we talk about on the KiddoCast, which is pediatrics, chiropractic, pregnancy, and all those things that are um, you know, relevant to you guys. And uh, today, I'm really, really excited to have Scott on the podcast. I've known Scott now for, God, man, almost 15 years, I think. And uh, you know, back in our days when we were in, in the Student American Chiropractic Association together, and things have changed quite a bit in the past uh, 10 to 15 years and the way that we practice and types of patients that we see and all that. So um, I really wanted to have Scott on the podcast, not only to talk about uh, some of these things that we've seen in our practices, um, you know, and all the changes that he's gone through, but even just to kind of reminisce on some of the things that uh, we encountered in chiropractic college and uh, how that is important and relevant to you as parents. And for those of you doctors who are listening, um, relevant to you guys as well. So Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for me, ha having me on, Dan. I'm, I'm super excited that we get a chance to go and connect and do this today. 
Yeah, me too. It's long overdue, Scott. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out on a, on a Tuesday for us to discuss this stuff. So real quick, why don't you just let everybody know who you are and where you are, and um, let's dig in from there, okay? So my name is Dr. Scott Haggerty. Um, I am in practice with um, my wife, uh, Dr. Lena Haggerty. We own a lead family chiropractic here in uh, North Royalton, Ohio. And our practice um, is a pediatric and family practice. Um, I have two awesome little munchkins, Olivia and Elijah. Um, they are just the best, most fun, most awesome little kids. And uh, been in practice now for, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, nearly nine years. Um, I can't believe that I'm that old, that I could be in practice for, nine, for nearly nine years, but it's, uh, it's been the, the best, best ride for the last nine years I ever could have imagined. Something about taking care of kids keeps you young. I mean, you know, when I first got into private practice, I mean, it, well, obviously, we could talk about this. Let's talk about going back to our soccer days. You know, when I first got into chiropractic, before I was even in private practice, you know, I got involved because of sports injuries. Mm -hmm. And so I was conditioned to believe that chiropractic care was all about taking care of bad backs and bad shoulders and bad knees and all sorts of other stuff. And while chiropractic care can be really, really good for those types of things, um, in my opinion, nothing compares to the effects on children. Um, oh my gosh, absolutely. And it, you know, it's funny because I actually came in from a very similar route. Um, when I went into chiropractic school, it was because of coming out of the route of being a bodybuilder and powerlifter and lifetime athlete who had back issues and neck issues. Um, what was interesting is I went through and I got into care and I saw all these amazing changes and all these amazing benefits. Um, but it's funny because there was these changes that even occurred in my brain and my nervous system that I didn't really understand at that point in time. But it was funny because, you know, in my practice now, we take care of kids with autism, ADHD, sensory processing. Well, you know, in, in our world, we, we talk about kids who had these challenging labors and deliveries and starts to life who go down this pathway that we call the perfect storm. And I was one of those kids who struggled with focus and attention and all these other challenges. And I noticed as I started getting into care, that I, I saw changes and improvements with those symptoms. But it was really amazing until, you know, I met people like Tony Ebel and yourself and uh, learned about the work of like Dr. Mo, Dr. Rob Malolo and saw these amazing things that were being done. Um, and, and obviously seeing a need in our own life, you know, because the reason we actually got into working with pregnancy and pediatrics is because we had a child that was struggling. And uh, so we had to actually seek help for our own child. And we saw her transform in just a matter of months from the struggles that she was dealing with. And it was just the most amazing thing in the world to realize how much her little brain had been through, but how powerful chiropractic was to go and change the way that her quality of life was. Yeah, um, I empathize with that. It's no secret to listeners of the podcast that I was a perfect stormer as well. And, um, you know, I think we, we, as providers, view... Uh, our patients through our own personal lens, you know, how it was for us, all the struggles that we had dealing with um, when we were, uh, you know, when we were kids um, and, and seeing it, it magnified to like the nth degree now with all the stressors that, that kids are having to deal with today. Um, what, what do you think is, you know, well, let's just, let's just put it this way. Of, of all the things that you see in your practice, what do you think are the things that are different now versus when you and I were growing up, because certainly, you know, there were a lot of us when we were growing up, but clearly it's gotten worse. Yeah. Right? 
So oh, yeah, okay. what, what's changed? Well, you know, it's interesting. So I am, um, I'm going to date myself, but I'm going to be 45 in October. So, uh, and it's funny when I was in school, right? I remember, um, I remember what my classroom was like at that point in time, there was only one person who had asthma and one person who seemed to have any kind of learning or behavioral challenges, you know? And, um, I mean, if you were to go into any classroom pretty much nationwide right now, you would have multiple kids per class that are probably on IEPs or 504s who have, you know, allergy issues and behavioral issues. Um, and it's so different. I mean, the kids that we see coming through our doors right now, um, there's way more struggles that they're dealing with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis than I ever could have imagined. I mean, you know what all the stats are like. I mean, it, it's crazy how things have spiraled over the course of the last even 20 years. I mean, the labels, the diagnoses, the challenges the kids are dealing with are far greater than I ever could have imagined when I was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the stressors are definitely unique to kids of this generation. Um, I mean, in chiropractic, we talk about the three T's, you know, in my office, we had that fourth T that Monica Berger uh, coin, you know, a few months back and that's tech. The other three T's are trauma, toxicity, and thoughts. And now kids are just up against it in the worst possible way. Trauma comes almost inordinately coming from the birth process. Um, 99 out of 100 children are being born with atlas subluxations. And subluxations are basically fixations, misalignments, or movement problems in the spine. When that occurs in the upper part of the neck, it starts to affect the bottom part of the brainstem. And the brainstem is responsible for slamming the brakes on that child's stress response. Um, toxicity, I mean, food coloring, additives, sugar, gluten, dairy, like genetic modification, whatever you, 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 know, you want to call it. And it makes it even worse for kids with sensory proclivities, ADHD and autism, because they only prefer like, you know, the pizza, the chicken nuggets, the French fries, the things that have absolutely no nutrition and nutritional value at all. And then of course, you know, the emotional stressors that contribute to these things, you know, moms are having a harder time with pregnancy more so than ever before. They're stressed out. They're feeding their cortisol to their babies. Their babies are being born with emotional stressors. And then with all the crazy stress that people are under today in the age of COVID is this time of recording, um, you know, our children are suffering more than ever. And then you combine that with, you know, blue light, electromagnetic frequencies from all the like screen time and the phones and all that stuff that kids are being exposed to. It's the perfect storm, you know, as, you know, Scott and I totally. both talk about when we do workshops for, for these parents. So, um, yeah, it's definitely worse than it ever has been before. I mean, I guess the question now becomes, you know, what do we do about it, Scott? Well, you know, it's, it's a great question you brought that up because, you know, one of the things that we teach our parents about in every workshop that we do is the fact that these stressors start early and they come often. And oftentimes there are, there are things that, you know, we're, we're told that are normal, but we don't necessarily even think about, you know, since you brought up birth process, one of the interesting stats that I think is, is, uh, is profound is that when, you know, when, when I was, when I was, you know, a child, the stats in, in the seventies and eighties for birth interventions, where only like 25 to 30% of, of live births had an intervention. For the Department of Health Statistics, as of last year, 87% of all live births have some form of a birth intervention. So stats nationwide for things like cesarean section, so the average nationwide is upwards of 40%. And in places like where I live in the Cleveland, Ohio area, it, it's reaching 50%. And when you think about those things, right? So you know, we're oftentimes told that cesarean section deliveries are normal, um, you know, and these interventions are normal, but when you think about what that they create, right, 
you you have to realize that there is real actual force being applied to our baby's spine and nervous system as a part of these processes. I mean, something even just as simple as a cesarean section, right? So that that birth process, when when there the baby is delivered, the amount of force that's being applied to a baby's neck and spinal column and spinal cord ranges at a minimum of 40 pounds of axial traction with lateral bending and rotation to as high as 80 pounds. You add in things like a, a vacuum extractor or forceps, that force will peak at well over 100 pounds on that baby's spine. And moms and dads, if you're listening to this, right, that would be the equivalent of taking your newborn, grabbing them by the skull, hanging their little body behind about below them, putting an 80 to 100 pound weight and then swinging them like this as a part of birth process. Now, when you hear something like that, right, even if you don't understand necessarily the process of delivery, I think any of us as parents could realize there's gonna be injury. Sometimes there's pathologic injury, right? Like tears, fractures, but sub-pathological, sub right? Things like when you have a whiplash, even if you didn't break something, you're still hurt. Well, in a context like that, a baby, a newborn who has no muscular stability to unstabilize themselves, is going to sustain injury and like Dan talked about you know there's going to be subluxation processes that are there that from the time they're born it's going to be feeding a stress response into their brain because if they're not getting that normal motion from the spine because those little proprioceptive nerves that are that are on the spinal column their job is to calm the brain if they're not getting that then it does the opposite it elicits a stress response you know one of the one of the things I teach parents about I think probably is one of the best ways I, I help them to understand this is we talk about headaches you know, I mean, you think about it, right? When you get a headache, right? If you can take the pain, put the pain in a bucket over here, right? And think about just the way that your focus is, right? I mean, if you have a headache, what's your focus like? I mean, it's, I mean, it's awful. Yeah. You can't, you yeah, can't right? concentrate. Right. What about your mood? It sucks. Right? Like, I mean, how many times do we hear stories about people when they get headaches and they say that, you know, oh my gosh, the lights, everything just seems so, so amplified. It seems so bright or every little sound seems so loud. And, and you think about that and that is sensory processing. It's distorted sensory processing because nerves can really only perceive, perceive sensations in one of three ways, below normal, with the normal limits or above normal. And so when you see things like that, you're seeing sensory processing problems in adults who have a headache, right? Take it one step further. If you have a headache, right? And as a byproduct of that headache, now you feel nauseous. So is that a stomach problem or is that a nerve to stomach problem? Right. Right. I mean, so, so that right there, you see things like that in our, in our babies now, right? That's colic. That's, that's a child that's got reflux issues. Yeah. And if you think about having that process there, potentially there as early as birth, right? And who knows, maybe a baby with colic, right? Is potentially a baby with headaches. Think about those processes being there from the very beginning periods of life, when their brain is trying to perceive all of this tremendous amount of sensory input, but the brain is having a hard time regulating the sensory input, controlling the sensory input, choosing what it's supposed to pay attention to, right? Called attenuation. If the brain can't filter what it's supposed to pay attention to and everything is coming in and it's causing a constant stress response, and then you're expected to sit still in school and you're supposed to pay attention to the teacher. You're supposed to regulate your emotions when you're, you know, being frustrated by the by other kids, and you're expected to, you know, pay attention in class and organize sensory input to learn to read and speak. I mean, if you've got all of those things there at those critical developmental um, phases, how do you think the brain's going to work? Is it going to yeah. function the way that it's supposed to? Yeah, 
I mean, and, and what you're describing is essentially what a stress response looks like in a young child versus what it looks like in a grown up, right? When grown ups are stressed out, you know what that feels like. You have anxiety, you have, you have arrhythmias or heart palpitations, you have chest pain, you have difficulty breathing, like all of those things that are indicative of, um, you know, basically what you're doing is you're shunting blood away from all of your internal organs into your arms and legs so that you can run away from whatever's threatening you. And your stress response is only supposed to last for 10 or 15 minutes at a time. But we're driving that fight or flight or freeze response 24 hours a day now. Our children are doing the exact same thing, but they manifest symptoms very, very differently. I mean, you brought up colic, which is the most common thing we see in our clinic by far. In July, I saw more colic cases than I've ever seen in my entire career. And it was just one case after the other with the exact same symptoms, the exact same history, and surprise, surprise, the exact same freaking scans, right? We can talk about scans in a little bit, but... When you see one or two cases that are similar, it's a coincidence. But when you see six, seven, eight, nine cases that are all identical, guys, there is something to this. And when there's trauma involved, when there's stress at home involved, when even when mom is eating uh, certain types of foods like sugar or dairy and they're passing those amino globulins onto their baby via their breast milk, like of course the baby's gonna have difficulty metabolizing. They're gonna be gassy. They're gonna have a rigid tummy and they're gonna feel uncomfortable after feeding. And so when you go to the pediatrician's office and you say, my baby's colicky, my baby's crying, my baby's not, you know, comforting. And the pediatrician says, just deal with it. They're going to grow out of it. It's time for you to find a new pediatrician because they're missing all those, as we talk about in the perfect storm, moonwalking bears that are right out in front of us that we're missing because we're not looking for them. Right, Scott? Oh, it's so true. It's so true. I mean, even when, you know, when I was, when I was a, a new dad and my little girl was going through her struggles, right, we'd go to the pediatrician, talk about the issues that she was having with the sleep problems. And, you know, she was, she was, she was a horrible sleeper. For the first year of her life, I mean, she barely slept at all. She was constipated like crazy. Um, life was, was really difficult, but we were told continuously that she would grow out of it. But she, she didn't necessarily grow out of it. She just grew into new things. Because the evolution then became, when she was a toddler, it was a toddler who was always seeking stim. It was a toddler who was hyper emotional. It was a toddler who was still constipated, whose body wasn't working the way that it was supposed to. And by the time that she started getting into preschool age, we were seeing early signs of anxiety. Anxiety. You know, she was seeking stim like crazy. And it was, it was this constant cycle of being told, oh, it'll get better, it'll grow it. She never did. And we did not see any of that thing, any of those things change until we started jumping in, learning how to scan and how to assess, how to care for her properly so that she was able to get her life back on track. But we see this all the time. And and like you said, it's the same story over and over and over and over again. You know, I am right before we uh, we got on today, I was actually just finishing up a call with a mom um, who has an 18 month old um, that is showing every sign of, of autism, regressive autism. And the mom is a nurse. A mom who, um, who just loves her son, who's willing to drive an hour to come to my practice, um, to do whatever is necessary to get her son her life, his, his life back. And she watched this little dude be on track with all of his develop, developmental milestones. And, um, you know, they had this stress history. Mom was, mom was older, dad was older. Um, you know, it was a very stressful pregnancy. They had tons of difficulty with, with getting pregnant. You know, things that we talk about in this perfect storm, complications, with just getting pregnant leading to having IVF. 
And then mom was already older, so that was something where her nervous system was already in a state where it was a little bit more advanced um, in, in terms of her, her stages of pregnancy and her, her ability to get pregnant and her, her physical maturity. Um, and then, you know, the pregnancy itself was super stressful because she was high risk. Um, and so the whole thing was, was just setting up this perfect storm. And then at 15 months, so they go in, mom, who's a nurse, had been doing her homework. He gets his 15-month DTAP, and then two days later, he begins the perfect storm where she watches everything just go nuts in his nervous system. And then for the next several days, low-grade fever, screaming, watching him just disconnect, and she watched it all go downhill. And the conversation now is, I wish I would have known. I wish I could have done something sooner. And she's dealing with mom guilt, right? Like how many parents right now are dealing with horrific mom guilt because of the struggles they see their kids going through? And, you know, one of the things I had to tell her is I had to tell her she needed to forgive herself because she's a good mom. She's a good mom who's willing to do whatever she could to help her child to drive any distance. She's gone gluten-free, casein-free. She's done all these things. They've tried therapies and she's not seen change yet. And so now I'm super excited because we're going to get her, get a chance to help her to get her son's life back on track by helping to get his nervous system reconnecting back on track developmentally, finally putting a positive influence into his nervous system, which only the adjustment can do. Yeah. yeah tremendously powerful. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about how, um, you know, these, these kids don't really outgrow any of these issues. They, just manifest in different ways. And as we know, when a baby's colicky, um, they're constipated, they have acid reflux, they have difficulty latching, you know, the quadfecta, which I talk about on the podcast quite a bit, because they all manifest kind of the same way. These kids will be miserable for the first six months of their lives, and then things will settle down a little bit, um, a lot of the time because pediatricians will put them on medication, and then it'll manifest differently when they get a little bit older. It won't start necessarily turning into sensory proclivities but it might turn into like chronic ear infections or chronic blood colds and flus you know it'll it'll turn into difficulty sleeping it'll turn into um just more stress and anxiety for the kiddo and that could eventually turn into what you see as sensory processing type issues adhd etc um, and so you're right it, these kids do not grow out of these issues they just ch change they, they manifest in different ways so, you know, for all your parents out there who are listening to this and you're going, yeah, that sounds like my child. Well, yeah, it's because Scott and I see these kids on a daily basis who've been through the OTPT speech therapy. They've been through the pediatricians. They've been through the, the mental health professionals and they just missed everything because again, these are moonwalking bears. And if you guys don't know what we're talking about with the moonwalking bear, go search moonwalking bear on YouTube. Um, pretty fascinating. Basically, the theme of this is that there are things right in front of our faces that we are missing. And that's why we're not addressing these underlying problems. When it comes to perfect stormers, which are sensory processing, ADHD, anxiety, autism spectrum kids, um, there are a lot of things that we can address first, uh, namely subluxation trauma. Uh, that can take a lot of that stress off the brainstem and the nervous system to allow these kids to be 100% better. Um, hey, Scott, I want to switch gears just a little bit um, because I want to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, and that is, um, you know, oriented towards the doctors that are listening, you know, yeah. what, what do you think has changed in the past 15 years in the profession? I mean, you and I started out in SACA, which could not be further in philosophy to the way that you and I practice today. Um, for for sure. those of you guys who are parents who are listening, who are still sticking with the podcast, SACA is a Student American Chiropractic Association. Scott and I served at a high level 
uh, in this trade association in school. And we lobbied uh, at least once a year. I lobbied usually twice a year while I was in chiropractic college to improve access to chiropractic uh, amongst veterans, active duty military personnel, uh, military beneficiaries. Uh, we lobbied for healthcare reform, um, amongst other things. And, uh, you know, once we got into private practice, things changed a lot. So I'm, I'm really curious to do a little retrospective here and see what you think has changed, maybe not just in the profession, but what's changed in your practice life that's turned you kind of away from what we were doing initially. Oh man, that, that's such a, such a phenomenal question. Um, so I remember when I was in school, and I, I mentioned this before, I was, I came into to chiropractic um, specifically because of pain issues. I, uh, I actually went all the way through to getting a master's degree in sports science and rehabilitation. Um, so from the perspective of a practicing doctor, I was, um, I learned a lot about musculoskeletal care, um, which it's great and it works amazingly well. And if you have neck pain, back pain, awesome. There's really not anything better um, than getting adjusted for helping with those things. Um, but when I was in school, you know, my, my, my senses were actually heightened about the potential of brain change by meeting Dr. Ted Carrick and um, hearing him talking about the work that he was doing with functional neurology and hearing the literal miracle stories um, of what they were doing using a combination of chiropractic and functional neurological rehab as, as a route to go and tap into to make amazing changes to the brain. Um, so when I was in school, I actually had the benefit um, of being a proctor um, for the, the Carrick Institute's um, neurodiplomate program. So I was in the middle of doing my DC and my master's. I also proctored for the neurodiplomate program. Um, and um, so I had this early exposure to this high level ability of the brain to be changed um, using neuroplasticity and things that were told were um, unable to be helped in any way, shape, or form, I saw the power of the brain to be changed and rewired. A lot of my, a lot of my classmates, a lot of my colleagues, um, when I got out, were very mechanistic, right? They were very much focused on spine, not focused on brain. I was already tuned into that. Um, so when, when I got into practice and I started you know, working with a lot of the athletes, my brain was already kind of tuned into um, nervous system function and neuro rehab and the power of the brain. Um, but as I evolved and I started really digging into the work of people like Dr. Heidi Horvitt and reading her research and seeing the things that, um, that she was doing and seeing the amazing, uh, amazing things that she was recording about um, changes to areas like the prefrontal cortex, which regulate executive function, um, seeing changes to things like uh, the cerebellum, which controls things like balance coordination, coordination, motor planning, feet forward planning for fine and gross motor movements. Um, all of those things really just started to kind of creep in more and more into my consciousness. And when we started uh, talking to Tony Evil um, about the work that he was doing and looking to try and help my daughter and to get her life back on track, um, and then learning about the assessment protocols and the scanning technology and starting to implement those care plans on our little girl and watching her life change. Everything that we did in our practice switched. And I got rid of all rehab. I got rid of um, all of the other, other things that I did. I stopped doing functional movement screening. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but when I saw that I was getting greater value and better results by doing adjusting, and clarifying what I needed to do to try and help my patients and my daughter and my family and the kids in our practice, everything shifted into 
better neurological assessments, spending more time learning how to be a better adjuster, how to learn appropriate protocols to help my daughter. And everything that we did started watching the results for our daughter, for the kids that we cared for in our practice, and for every person, the more brain focused we became, the better the results got. And it's been life changing. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up Ted Carrick because Ted uh, and I had an awakening. Um, you know, it was actually at an at ACA House of Delegates meeting when I was serving on the National Committee. Um, I remember uh, sitting down at the bar and uh, next to me were Ted Carrick and Sergio Azzolino. Ted was the chair of the Neurology Council and Chiropractic and uh, Sergio was serving in some capacity, maybe as a delegate, I can't remember, it was a long time ago. But, um, you know, we we're having a glass of wine and talking about neurology and I maybe was, you know, a couple hundred hours into the neurology program at that point and, you know, I was asking him about plasticity and one thing that he said just resonated with me and it'll never leave me. He basically said, you know, plasticity is occurring at all times, right? You are doing things right now that is plasticizing your brain. And so over time, the more actions you take towards creating that new habit, um, the more that those actions are going to be plasticized. So if you, you know, do negative things, then that'll plasticize in the brain and it'll become a lot more habitual. You do positive things, you plasticize in the brain, become more habitual. So ultimately with the care that we provide, um, it's all about creating new good habit, right? And yep. no matter what we do, you know, we need to make sure that we're reinforcing those good habits over time. That's why care plans in our offices tend to be fairly long and repetitive because we're, making sure that our patients can hold adjustments in a meaningful way. Uh, when you start holding an adjustment and you get that nervous system clear, that's when you start to get real neurological change. I also appreciate the fact that you brought up Heidi Havik because Heidi and I go all the way back to Mexico City uh, for WCCS, the World Congress of Chiropractic Students in 2008. I was actually just talking to our mutual friend, Stan Palm, about that trip. And this is back like right at the very beginning when Heidi first started publishing with Bernadette Murphy and she's talking about somatosensory evoke potentials. And um, I mean, the work that she's done since has I've been absolutely groundbreaking. Yeah. Uh, most importantly, I mean, she's talked about changes to prefrontal cortex activation uh, after chiropractic care. And you, you kind of hinted at it with your, your discussion of feed forward activation from the cerebellum. I mean, um, we know that a chiropractic adjustment can positively influence the way that the prefrontal cortex unpackages information from the outside world. And with sensory processing kids, ADHD kids, autistic kids, and kids with anxiety and other mental health issues, nothing can be more important. Yep. Because these kids have massively inhibited prefrontal cortices. Um, and every time we get good neural uh, feedback to that part of the brain, uh, we improve inhibition, cognitive ability, um, uh, behavior it affects is the it affects the mesolimbic system it affects the hippocampus um, which is responsible for memory and emotion um, and so i i totally appreciate and agree with everything that you said the adjustment is so 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 important you know uh, most people who listen to the podcast know that i teach pediatric adjusting and i find that a lot of the time when learners come to our course they'll ask questions related to functional matter rehab um, like what would you do in addition to chiropractic adjusting to help this kiddo with certain sensory proclivities or developmental delays or whatever? My answer is always the same. Take a step back, get chiropractic right first, 
And then you can worry about referring them to somebody as an allied healthcare professional who can help you with, with rehab. Because if you don't have a clear nervous system, then it doesn't matter what kind of rehab you do. Right, Scott? Completely. Completely. I mean, you can, you know, it, it's funny. I remember uh, the very first time that, that Tony, Tony Ebel and I got on the phone really talking about kind of making the shift in our practice to help, um, to help with, with more kids and help our daughter. And it was funny because he and I came, come from the same background, right? I was a rehab guy. He was a rehab guy. We had, you know, these big rehab practices. And um, it, was, it, was really, it was really powerful when he talked about you had to get really clear, right? Get very simplistic in terms of what, what we were the best in the world at was helping to improve the function of the nervous system via the adjustment. And as I mentioned, you know, when we started really kind of paring down and recognizing that the most important thing that we could do was to clear out the nervous system because the nervous system with interference can't function at its best, right? From, from a sensory processing perspective, if you've got all this nociceptive input coming into the brain and it's in the background and whether you're aware of it or not, it's, a, it's evoking a stress response. Very simple rule. You can't be in growth and protection at the same time. Right. You know, if you have an active sympathetic system, it's going to inhibit the functions of the prefrontal cortex. Well, if we know that we can restore proprioceptive input and by activating the prefrontal cortex, we can inhibit the amygdala and the stress, the stress and anxiety center of the brain, you're making immediate brain change. And then if you have someone who is an OT or a PT or an SLP, it makes their job easier because they can dial in and doing what they need to do to improve those neural pathways when the nervous system is not being literally blocked. Because if you've got background nociceptive input coming into the brain, it makes it very difficult. You know, any good SLP that I've ever talked to or, or OT, they always say they get to point where it points where they run into walls. And when they run into those walls, they can try every therapy, every trick they have in the book. But if they can't break through that, then they can't continue to make progress. And that's why we oftentimes talk about the importance of stacking the relationship in the right position. You know, we come in at a different place. We come in at cause level. We can, we can make the job of the OT, SLP, everybody else better because we can help to go and clear out the interference that they can't physically do. Yeah. And that's why we watch these relationships work so incredibly well because they're, they're very skilled professionals. You know, the OTs that we work with, the SLPs that we work with, they're phenomenal. But their job is made better by what we do because we help to go and get rid of any of the interferences they would otherwise not be able to fight through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you said you can't be in growth and protection at the same time. That's Dr. Bruce Lipton. And that's another collateral effect of my time in SACA. Uh, that was the first, uh, first exposure that I had to Bruce Lipton, um, you know, was, was being involved with SACA and a lot of our colleagues who were involved in the World Congress of Chiropractic Students. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, Bruce Lipton wrote a book called The Biology of Belief, and it was um, transformative for me in chiropractic college. Uh, because he talks about the science of epigenetics and how the environment can change your genetic transcription. Um, so you are not your genes. Your environment is your genes. And something to think about. And this is also consequently why chiropractic care works so well with kids because you get kids who are being told that they are genetically predisposed to having all these problems. And uh, I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Environment triggers gene transcription, which means that if you're showing signs of autism, there are a lot of these things can't, that can be reversed. And it's not to say that chiropractic care is a cure for autism. That's not what we're saying at all. Um, but chiropractic care can influence gene transcription in a meaningful way because it de-stresses the parts of the nervous system that are responsible for causing symptoms there. Yep. So, so um, 
Yeah. Hey, Scott, let's, let's talk about some of the things that you're seeing in your practice right now. Um, in the age of COVID, which is the time that we're recording this podcast, um, you know, as I said, you know, last month was the month of colic. Um, and I know that in pediatric practices, um, when it rains, it pours. So when you start seeing one case, you'll see like 15 of those cases. So I'm curious right now, August 2020, um, what types of things are you seeing in the practice? You know, it's, we've seen a lot of kids that have come through recently with, I mean, every parent's so concerned about the stress effect, folks and attention issues, behavioral issues, probably more than anything else, ADHD being the big concern that we've seen coming through. Cause everyone's like, how is my child going to function in homeschool? They watch them struggle through the, through the, the spring when everything got locked down and they're coming back and they're going to be in this situation where they're in homeschool again and parents saw how difficult it was for them before, and now they're looking at homeschooling here, because most of the public schools here in, in where I live in the Cleveland, Ohio area, they're locked down. Everybody's homeschooling right now, if they're in the public school setting. Private schools are gonna be going in person, but all of those situations are gonna be ones where the kids are gonna be masked and social distanced, and they're not gonna get their normal play, and everything's gonna be different. Everyone's so concerned about the stress, concerned about the effect it's gonna have on them from, from a development standpoint, a lot of kids aren't having accesses to their normal normal services. So the stress, the folks and attention concerns, the behavioral concerns, um, coming in like crazy, just left and right with parents, just just concerned out of their mind. And of course, you know, let's let's not forget parents in this equation. We are seeing parents stressed out like I have never seen them before, which means that the environmental stress in the family is probably going to be more stressed out than many of us have ever seen before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Um, you know, California, pretty much everybody's in lockdown as well. And, um, you know, I think right now that school is basically officially starting. Um, everybody is just on high alert. You know, parents don't know what to do. Teachers don't know what to do. Certainly kids don't know what to do. You know, our daughter is starting back at school, um, tomorrow, Wednesday. And, um, you know, even she is kind of in this place where she doesn't know. And she's a well-adjusted kid. You know, obviously, I've been taking care of her since, you know, I, I knew her. And, um, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like for a child with a 504 accommodation or IEP or whatever, um, because they're, they, they thrive on social interaction, right? And they're just not going to get it. And I mean, this is the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future. I mean, I, I think... This is probably what's happening the same in your office as well. And I don't know if you do boost adjustments or not, but I do something fairly similar in my office. But what I'm finding with most of my patients is that we need to double or triple up their care right now. Even the best patients who've been on wellness for 10 years, I'm seeing more regularly than I ever have before because they're just not holding adjustments like they used to. And that's the effect of stress. That's what stress does to your nervous system. It puts you in limbic lock and load, as Monica Berger has talked about with us in the past. And when you're in limbic lock and load, your body just can't heal right? No. Things just so tend true. to fall apart. Even old symptoms are starting to come back with a lot of our patients. You know, I mean, I, I was talking before about our colicky babies. Like I've never had such a difficult time getting my colicky kids under control. My care plans were longer this past month um, than they were prior to COVID because I know that most of these babies are suffering from colic because of the inordinate amount of stress that they're, they're under. Um, you know, even with our adults, 
you know, even just our neck and back pain people, like my care plans are longer than they ever have been before because their HRVs are in the absolute toilet. And if your HRV is in the toilet, your sensitivity to pain is altered. Your ability to heal from injury is altered. And it takes a lot longer for us to fix these problems, you know? Um, So true. Yeah. You know, talk, talk a little bit about that. I know you and I both use scans in our office. We both use inside substations. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about HRV, you know, what types of things are you seeing on scan right now that is, would be relevant to people who are listening? You know, I'll tell you what, if, if you are, a, if you're a doctor and you don't have scan technology, you have to get it. I mean, I, um, I, I'm, I'm going to share something personal if you don't mind, Dan. Sure. Um, when, when we first learned about scanning technology, you know, and I watched my little girl struggle for the first four plus years of her life, um, as a practicing doctor with a background in neuro and a master's in rehab, I had tried so many things and we were frustrated because we weren't getting results. My wife had already taken the ICPA courses and she really dug in to try and do, do anything she could. And we were stuck and we weren't seeing the kind of changes that we were hoping to with her. And I remember when, when I first started learning about scams from Tony Evil and studying in his pediatrics course and um, learning scan interpretation, I remember the very first time that I looked at a set of scans, I was angry and I was happy all at once. I was angry because I was frustrated that I'd not been able to help her, but I was happy because for the first time I looked at the scans and I was like, oh my gosh, these make sense. I actually understood what was going on inside of her because you know my little girl had a, 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 a HRV that was two standard deviations away from where it was supposed to be in sympathetic dominant. So my little girl, her entire life had been living and developing in fight or flight. I looked at her, her surface EMGs and she had this classic raging bull pattern. All this stuff just coming in faster than her little brain could regulate it. And it explained why she was having the temperament issues and seeking so much sensory stim and why she's having the behavior and the outbursts and why she was showing already signs of anxiety because her poor little brain was getting so much input coming in and it was developing all these little imbalances that she couldn't regulate. And so when I saw that on the scans for the very first time, it gave me a moment of clarity, like, Oh my gosh. And then I watched these things change over the course of putting her on a care plan. Her care plan was six months, three times a week. I mean, it, it took a while to really turn things. And I've been adjusting her since she, was, uh, since she was born, but not nearly enough. And we watched her scans come together and calm down and reorganize. You know, and what was really cool is that once we got her to the level of care we needed, we watched her change. And so same thing here with the scans, right? With the people that we, we scan, it's, it's amazing when you can look at the scans and they give you this window using an HRV into how much stress has been, been going through, a person's been going through potentially since they were born. I mean, what other tool gives you the ability to look at a person's nervous system and see the accumulation of stress in a person's life like an HRV does? I don't know of any other tool that that can give you such a good insight into a person. And then when you can look at things like the surface EMGs and the thermal scans, the ability to go and round out your understanding of what is going on inside of a person's nervous system and then be able to to create a, a plan and then track it and watch it change over time it's amazing. It's absolutely the greatest tool I've ever implemented in my practice career. 
Yeah, you know, the the longer that I stay in practice, the more I appreciate EMG especially. Um, yeah. is Our sensory processing kids, ADHD kids, anxiety kids are all showing what we call dyspanesis, which is abnormal yeah. output. And EMG is beautiful at, at displaying that. And it's really easy for parents to understand. Abnormal energy output, for those of you guys who don't know, is the fourth step in five steps that we see play out in kiddos with subluxation, trauma, and uh, neurological stress. Um, and it typically manifests as abnormal muscle output. Uh, and so we can measure that really succinctly through skin impedance to see whether or not there's any, anything going on. And typically what we want to see is a total energy output of somewhere between 120 and 160. Um, but these kids will be in the two, three, four hundreds in some cases, which means they're working two, three, four times harder than they should be to resist gravity. Um, and that's not okay. Now, admittedly, you know, kids are going to be working a little bit harder than adults will be because they're still growing and they're still trying to figure things out and their balance systems are still working. But I mean, it should only be 20 to 40 points more than an adult would be to begin with. And so once we see those scans, we know a lot more about what's going on under the surface and we know what we need to do to help these kids be better. I mean, I'm seeing more and more kids with scores, core scores in the low 70s and high 60s than I've ever seen before. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how it is in your office, Scott, but we need to see a core score of at least an 80 plus to yep. indicate that things are nice and stable. And uh, getting there is just, it's, it's a huge slog these days. It's really, really challenging. But without that tech, like we'd be stabbing in the dark, you know? Guessing. You, you know what's interesting, Dan? You know what we've actually seen uh, secondary to the, the kids with ADHD and a lot of the emotional stuff? is we've seen a lot of them, a lot of teenagers and young adults coming in who are, who are watching the evolution of a long-term perfect storm wrecking, wrecking these kids' health as they're getting into their later teen years and early adulthood years. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, you, you look at these scans, right? And one of the interesting, interesting things that you can tell from the way that the nervous system has been stressed over time is that, like you talked about with the surface EMG, when you have above normal energy output, you can only keep it up for so long before the nervous system runs out of gas. Right. And you start watching these surface EMG energy levels go below normal. You know, you talked about that range of 120 to 160. So we get a lot of people who come in who perfect storm kids, babies, who've been living on overdrive, who used to be labeled as hyperactive and kids that were dealing with ADHD issues and behavioral issues. But by the time they're hitting their middle to late teens, we're watching their energy, their energy systems run out, and all of a sudden they're being told they're having depression. And they're starting to see all these chronic health issues kick in. And we're starting to see all of these other problems emerge as a byproduct of the nervous system from, from young that was on the gas. Now by the time they're hitting you know, teen and, and young adulthood, their nervous system literally has no ability to go and maintain the fight. They're running out of gas, and they're seeing real health issues emerge that you know, beyond the effect of behavioral. Now we're seeing immune issues and we're seeing depression issues. We're seeing schizophrenia because the nervous system has been on the gas for so long and it's become so disconnected that it no longer has the reserves to match what they need to recover. It's gone all the way through the stages of stress. Yeah, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, yeah. just listening to Tony's call this morning, um, you know, talking about getting our pregnant moms in earlier, um, you know, more often, um, I think that that holds true with with our kids as well. You know, parents who are listening, 
don't wait until there's a problem to get your kiddo into a chiropractor. The advantage that we have when we do scanning is we can tell what's going on below the surface so that you don't have to worry about things like symptoms. And certainly if your kid has symptoms, then by all means have a chiropractor check them out and start adjusting them. But Scott and I, you know, our philosophies in our practice is, you know, get your kiddo checked as soon as they're born. The sooner that we get these kiddos in, the easier it is for us to correct these underlying problems and the less likely you're going to have these crazy cascades of symptoms later on in life. So, um, hey, Scott, uh, thank you, man, for, for sharing your time with us. We really, really appreciate it. It's so nice to talk to somebody, especially somebody that I've known for so long, and then as somebody that agrees with me on pretty much everything. Um, why, don't you, uh, why don't you let everybody know how to get a hold of you in case they're nearby and they want to come and see you? Uh, you can, uh, thank you again, first, thank you so much for having me on, Dan. This has been great. I, um, I have so much respect for you and for the work that you do and for being such a pioneer and leader in the profession. And uh, this was great. Thank you so much for doing this and having me on. Um, and if anyone has questions, myself and my staff, we are always happy to help. Uh, you can reach us um, on our website, www.elitefamilychiros.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash elitefamilychiros. Um, same handle on Instagram as well. Um, so if anybody has questions um, and it, we can be of assistance anyway, please let us know. That's what we are here for. It's our pleasure um, to serve and help families anywhere. Great. Awesome. Scott Haggerty, thank you so much for joining us on the KiddoCast. This is the last episode of the season, man. So you've rounded right. us out really nicely. We had a good 20-episode season, lots of really cool people, and uh, I couldn't think of a better person to end it out with. So thank you so much. And uh, guys, stick with us. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the back episodes of the KiddoCast, um, get a chance to do that. Oh, Scott, you need to promote your, your podcast too. Let everybody know how to get to your podcast. So uh, my podcast is uh, the Growing Healthy Families podcast. You can find it on literally all of your podcast sites. Um, so you uh, love to have you guys listen to it. So we're gonna actually have to get get a, a Dan here on the podcast ASAP so we can get rocking with that one as well. So you'll be uh, you'll be getting a, a message from me after we get off like a news cut. Sound good? Sounds awesome, man. I can't wait. So guys, thank you so much. Thanks for sticking with us through all of season three. And uh, just give me a little bit of downtime to find some more interviews. And then we'll come back in no time with season four. So everybody, thank you so much and take care.